Good evening, everybody. We are here this evening with our 101st Q&A. And I think we got the whole universe behind us as our background. Is it right, Sammy? Well, it keeps on changing. Sammy is up to all kinds of things this new year. Yes. Okay, the background keeps on changing. He's done a good job. And by the way, Pastor Vijay, both are deceased. Not we are not communists, but <laughs> <laughs> it was by some chance we both ended up in red today. Okay. Hallelujah. So we just thank you. We are here. Last time we came, it was the first of the month. And today, the eighth day, we just thank God brought us through seven weeks. The first week is over. God is good. And I believe all of you are good. And we are in this battle. The battle before the king returns. Mm. It's going to be intense, yes. but it's also going to be exciting. So hang in there. If you heard this morning, mm. the three key words for the last days, endure, persevere, and be patient, for the Lord is at hand. So this evening we'll first pray and then we'll open. Father, we just thank you. Thank you for bringing us through, Lord. Yes, Father. Before the light breaks, it will get dark. Mm. But Lord, light is promised. Rain is promised. Victory is promised. Triumph is promised. And you will come back. You said, if I go, I will come back. So Father, our hearts are not downcast. Our heads are not down. We look up. and We keep looking up. For we know, Father, as every passing moment, our Redemption draweth nigh, Lord. Mm. Even this evening, we want to thank you, Father, for all the questions, all your children who are sending these questions from around the world, Father. We just thank you for them. A question, Father. A question. An answer to a question can bless so many lives, Lord. Oh, Father, I just pray, give us the wisdom once again. Divine intervention, Lord, to answer this. Because no man is sufficient to answer the questions of life. Only you are, Lord. Use us as your vessels, your channels of blessing today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Yes. Pastor, we'll start with question number 22. 22. Uh, It says, when we are converted and saved and become Christians, our temperaments do not change. They remain exactly what they were. You do not become somebody else. You are still yourself. You are always yourself and have your own peculiar characteristics. And the result is that our own, uh, that we have our own special problems. To come out of this, to be more Christ-like, we need the anointing. The hot-tempered person has to watch the temper very closely. Equally, the phlegmatic and lethargic person has to be cheerful, has to be careful, because he is so flabby in his whole mentality that he tends not to stand when he should stand. Would you agree you need the anointing to change and never go back to the depressed state of mind? Mind, amen. Uh, Roshan, can you move the light? It's just in the middle of the screen. We need, uh, we need more than the anointing. Yes, it's the anointing. You see, uh, John 1 and verse 17 says, uh, sets the whole paradigm of the new covenant, the difference between the two covenants. It says the law came through Moses, but 
grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. All the Lord did was tell you what you should do, what you should be, but nobody could really become that. Mm. But when the Bible came, two different things happens when Jesus comes. He comes with grace. That is, anointing is part of it. He comes with grace and he comes with truth. Truth is, truth is much more uh, beyond the law. Okay, this morning we were talking about the anointing and the revelation, the anointing, Jesus. And you will see, Jesus walking in the anointing and in the entire Sermon on the Mount, he will tell us, you have heard, but I tell you. Mm. What he's telling you is the revelation for us. The same thing it should happen when we read the word of God. It is written, but I tell you, what does it mean? What is written for you? One is the letter. The other is the truth. And it is that truth that sets us free. So when it talks about, first we need to know what is to be Christ-like. That comes from the word. Because the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation is a revelation of who Christ is. Mm-hmm. But uh, like the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 1, God in his diverse times spoke in various ways. But in his last days, He has spoken through his son. Son. That is the revelation of who God is, what it is, the son has come. Let's keep the question over there. So you will see that what we were, the old man, before he was saved, and the new man. The old man, each one has his own hang-ups, your background, your upbringing, your education, the circumstances in which you were born, grew up, the iniquity that was passed on, all these things make the old person, the mm. old person. And let's realize, uh, we were all very comfortable. We learned to live with the old person, whether you liked it or not. We all ultimately learned to live with the old person. Then we encounter Christ. And when we encounter Christ, we realize it's a complete radical change. Most people don't realize it because they think of salvation only as not going to hell. Mm. Yes. That is the way they, oh, oh my gosh, if I don't accept Jesus, I will go to hell. So let me receive Jesus. But they do not realize salvation is a new creation. Yes. And Second uh, Corinthians 5.17 says, all the old things, everything has passed away. My, and it's, it's a completely, uh, it's a new beginning. It's a new beginning. That's what we were looking I think we didn't look today because there was no time. The foundations were shaken. Mm. God will shake our foundations of everything. He will shake it. It's a new creation altogether. So it is, so these are basically terms from Greek, what he called culture, the, 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 the Europe, not the European culture, what we call the the background from literature where men were divided into these phlegmatic, okay, they were different, this thing. But the fact is that we have all this in us and some of these are much more pronounced, much more. A man could be short-tempered, but he also could be depressed. Okay, but the short-tempered maybe it's because more visible, but people don't realize he could be depressed too. So the, these characteristics are all over there, but we have to change. Hmm. We have to change to be come out of this. First, we need teaching. Okay, first we need. That's that's the truth. We need the teaching. You cannot be comfortable. 
It's a very dangerous thing about being comfortable. That's what happened to the church in Laodicea. The church in Laodicea became very comfortable because they looked at the outward and they were prospering. Mm. But they hadn't changed inwardly at all and they were at the verge of being spat out. Mm. Yes. Okay. Because we will look at the outward and say everything is fine with me because we got money, we got everything is going on well, there's no troubles in my life. But God says, you know what, you are absolutely no different from the person in the world. Mm. Now you don't change. God is outside. Mm. If you don't change, I will have to spew out of my mouth. Okay, so we have to realize we all have to change. It, there's no choice. There's no choice. And change is an ongoing process. It's a constant breaking down. It's what he told Jeremiah. He says, I have appointed you to, to, to uproot. To pull down. Okay, it's not just chop at the base. Uproot and plant. Okay, to bring down and then build. Okay, that's a constant thing. And as it doesn't happen in one day because we cannot handle it in one day. Like he told Israel, you will not take the country in one day. Little by little, he will show us. Okay, certain so seasons may be rapid, then certain seasons will be slow, which we don't like. We are willing to get rid of. There are so many things in us which we like, which God doesn't like. Mm. When we cling on to those things, we cling on to those things. Then God will have to put us in a corner before we are willing to get rid of it. In a really, really like David. Okay, let us accept the fact David was an humanizer. Let's use that term, modern term, to understand. And because he was a king, he could pick any number. Okay, he picked, and he was a womanizer. And then God had to put him in a corner. And he said, the sword shall not depart from your home. Sword went through because of him. And that changed him. After that, you will never see David going that route again. So there are certain things which God dislikes in us, but we are not willing to go, get rid of it, and God puts you in a corner. He presses you in a corner where you will have to choose change. And it will be very, very painful. The change will be painful. But technically speaking, you don't have to go through that pain. If you're willing to humble yourself, that's what the word says. If you don't humble yourself... The humbling of God is a very painful process. It's a humiliating process. And God says, I don't want to put you through that. But if I have to put you through that, I will put you through that. Because nobody's going to come to heaven looking the same. The people who enter into heaven will be Christ-like. Will be Christ-like. So he will put you through that. So it is not just what we call the, the anointing is the power factor. The power factor. Truth is the teaching part. Yes. The Bible doesn't say Jesus came with grace alone. <laughs> the Bible doesn't say Jesus came with truth alone. And they always go hand in hand. Where you do not have truth, you don't need grace. What do you need grace for if you don't have truth? It is grace that saves you. But truth first shows you the state in which you are from what you need to be saved from. And one of the best examples of this is the scene in the gospel according to John with the Samaritan woman. Jesus is coming full of grace. He walks all the way, sends the entire group of disciples away so that he can talk to this lady alone. And because she's, he's alone, she approaches him. He starts the conversation knowing that she will not talk to him because she's Samaritan, he's a Jewish rabbi. And then he says, give me a drink of water. The conversation starts. Then he flips it across, brings to her need, not his need. And he says, if you knew 
who was offering you water, mm. you would ask him, and the water that I give, you will thirst no more. Mm. And she takes the bait. And she said, wow, give me that water. Mm. Immediately he turns the subject and says, go bring your husband. Yes. Mm. You know why? She's asking for grace and he's now introducing truth. Go get your husband. She says, I have no husband. He says, truly you have spoken. When truth does not condemn you, law condemns you. Truth doesn't condemn you. Truth is like the surgeon's scalpel. When he uses it, he's not killing you. He's trying to save you. Okay, it's you. Truth does not condemn you. Because truth will speak to you and leave the choice to you. If you receive it, it sets you free. If you don't receive it, you condemn yourself. You condemn yourself. That's why Jesus says on that day, I will not judge you. The words you heard, I speak, those words will judge you. You'll realize the only reason you were judged is because you rejected my words. Mm. You sat in church, you read your Bible, you heard it all, you ignored it. And now it's coming back to bite you. It's coming back to bite you. He said, that's all. You receive the truth, the grace is there to set you free. And then when she says, he says, truly you have said you had five husbands mm. and you're living with the sixth one. She's not offended. Understand that she's not offended. She said, she, she you must be a, a prophet. prophet. So when she receives the truth into her life, what is true, accepts it, then he's able to give her the grace to change. Yes. Because both comes from him. Mm. You cannot have one without the other. That's why we are talking about there is a preaching of grace which is false. Where there is no truth in it. And there is a preaching of truth which is basically the law rehashed as truth. It is not truth. Because there is no grace there. Mm. Because if you take grace after and only preach the truth, it is not truth. It is the law. It is the law. And the law always judges. The law always condemns. It never helps you. So we need that balance, how God brings it. And the Bible is very clear. Grace and, and truth. truth came through Jesus Christ. So that's the difference. And we need to realize, as we, like the whole of last year, or part of last year, we looked at the B series. Yeah. B series. Like today, we, the first Saturday, we are preaching from the church. We looked at restoration. We have a promise, restoration. God has given us the promise. How will God restore? First, I have to accept the truth. Is my altar there or not? That's the truth. Mm. Before we started, we were talking to the worship team. So that was the time we had with the worship team. What is the worship team? What was the truth spoken to the worship team? Do you worship in private? Or do you only worship in public? Remember, Jesus is talking about that secret thing. He said, the hypocrites do stuff like that. If I don't study the word of God in private and only study on a Sunday morning to preach, then who am I? I'm a hypocrite. Absolutely. I'm a peddler of the word. Yes. Okay? So if you are in the worship team, God says, worship. Why are you in the worship team? Not because you sing, but because you are a worshiper. You are a worshiper. No? In the same way, we need to understand all these things. There is this place of our personal life with God. And that personal life, today we heard the truth. God is not coming to, coming to condemn. He's coming to bless. The devil comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. Okay. He cannot steal, but he can cause us to lose it. Mm. Through ignorance, through disobedience. So God says the first thing to do is repair your altar. Mm. Repair your altar. No, repair your altar. And offense is a big thing. You need to realize. 
That's why Jesus said, you know, be careful about offense. Be careful about offense. You know, be careful about offense. Imagine going to your doctor and when he tells your diagnosis, you get mad at him. You know, you will die. You go for a second opinion, he tells you the same thing. I don't like these doctors. They are all condemning all the time, you know, all the time. People, you know, when they are offended, when they are offense, like uh, anger or revenge, is a poison you drink to kill somebody else. When you are offended, it does not harm anybody else except you. Because you know what? You block, you block the truth of God from coming into your life. So when it comes to people who matter, one, the word of God, the people who minister the word of God. Second, when you go to your doctor, you know, when you go to your lawyer, don't be offended. You'll end up in jail. He will sell you at your, at your face. You are a, you are a fool. Why did you put yourself in a jam? Now let me see what I can. Okay, I'll go find another lawyer. No, he's telling you the truth. You put yourself in a jam. He's telling you. The doctor says, you know, so doctor says, change your life habits, change your exercise regimen, change the way you eat. Otherwise you will die early. And you get angry with him. No? So guard these things because the truth hurts, but the truth will set you free. Okay, it will set you free. So when the Bible is talking about, it is not just the anointing. It's not just the anointing. Saul was anointed, but he refused to receive the truth about himself. He didn't receive the truth about himself. So he was destroyed. Okay, and when it came to Samson, the problem is, you should never be a Samson. In life, never be a Samson. Even Saul had a prophet Samuel to speak to him. Samson had nobody that could speak to him. Nobody who could speak to him. You always should ask this question, who can speak into my life? Okay, You'd look at Samson. Who is that who can speak to Samson? There's nobody. There's no prophet at that time. And he won't listen to his parents either. There's nobody to speak to that man. And that is the recipe for destruction. Oh Lord. Recipe for destruction. Saul and mm. for all said and done, there was somebody who was willing to speak to yes, him. He yes. did not receive his counsel. Mm. But that's a different thing. At least there is somebody to speak to him. David had, Nathan, all to, Abiathar, all to speak into his life. But what if you, that's again what happened to Solomon. After a point, nobody could speak, speak to, to Solomon. And twice God appeared. And God, and he still didn't listen. God mm. personally appeared yes. and he couldn't this thing. And he said, don't go this way. And he didn't listen and he was destroyed. Okay, that's the thing you need to realize, Scan. I'm not saying whether you listen. Sorry. I'm not saying whether you listen. I'm saying whether somebody can speak to you. We all listen. <laughs> that doesn't mean somebody is speaking into yes, our lives. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, we are all hearing. With, through one ear, you can hear and let it out of the seven, second ear. Okay, either you ignore it or you are offended. Or you are listening, you are receiving it. Yes. One question I want to ask related to in the morning that you were talking to us about. Uh, we as a church should never become familiar with the one who is speaking into our lives. How do we guard against familiarity? No, it is uh, when when I when I am saying about familiarity, I am not saying that you should not be close to your no, pastor. I am not talking that you cannot be close to your. You have, I mean, this is the narrow line we have to, everywhere we have to learn to walk. The narrow line we have to learn to walk is this. Know the person, 
know the office. Know the person, know the office. Because it, honestly I'm telling you, it does not begin from the, it does not begin from the church. It begins from the home. It begins from the home. Okay? It all begins at the home. If you learn it at home, you will learn it at church. Where you begin from your home is, let me see, I was born into a home. I have a father and a mother. Okay? All of us had father and mother. And the father, especially, has an office. Father has an office. How do you know? How does the children know the father has an office? Through the way the mother reacts. Okay. And the way the father behaves. Mm. The way father behaves and the mother reacts, deals with him. The children will know there is a person who is my father. I can sit on his lap, but also he has an office. He sees, the child sees growing that. Mm. Sees growing that. There are two things here. How does the father behave in the house? He's the head. How does he behave in the house? Second, how does the wife treat him with reverence? The Bible always talks about honor with reverence. So these two things are there. One is a man's responsibility and the other is a woman's responsibility. When the child starts growing up and sees this constantly, because he's, he's his father, he's attached to his father, but he also learns to rever his father. When mm. he comes to church, he realized there is another office. Mm. Another office. Because these are the two offices to which you are primarily attached. Yes. Because if you belong to one church and one home. Okay. Office and all you may change, schools you will change, you will grow out of or move out of all these places. But the fundamental principle is applied consistently in two places. In a child has a father and the child has a pastor. And the pastor also will treat you like a child. Will treat you like a child. But the child, because he has been taught to rever his father at home, is also learned to rever the pastor. If the child never lis- has listened to his father's voice, he will also not listen to his pastor's voice. Mm. Though he loves his father and loves his pastor. So please remember, education does not begin in the church. Education begins in the home. Mm. It begins in the home. We are taught so many things about it, but I'm talking about in a, I'm talking about in a context of a normal Christian family, believing family. If it's about talking about people who got saved after that, you have to reinvent it all again. Go back and and start putting your family on the right foundations mm-hmm. and the church. You can be very close to your father, but you know, I I, I remember I had a friend. Uh, an uncle who was a uh, very senior officer at that time in the army. He, he was a brigadier rank and he was in charge. He was the chairman of the short service commission, SSB, in the Bangalore where you know, officers just think he was. So he was related, close friend. So when I went to Bangalore, I s- stayed with him in the guest house. So his home is also there and his old father is there. This is very interesting, okay? Now he's, at that time, he must in, in his retire, he must have been in his 50, late 50s or something. He had not retired yet, he retired because he wanted, he had to go to US, otherwise he was in line to become a major general, okay? So the thing is that, uh, his father walks in the sitting room and he immediately gets up. Wow. Wow. Okay, immediately gets up. <clears throat> he won't sit. 
like he wants it. He'll stand in his father's presence and only talk. See, children are very, they are very, this thing with their mothers, that's a different thing. But with the father, it's a different thing all. I was looking at him, okay, and uh, he wouldn't, okay. And then, uh, after that, he and I, uh, he came to Hyderabad, he stayed with me for a day, and uh, by then, after that, he had retired. It's an interesting thing, okay. We went to Pastor Walson's house, because he wanted to see Pastor Walson, okay. So he and I went to Pastor Walson's house. Pastor, Pastor, Pastor Walson's father was an ex-serviceman. He too was in the army. Like OR, whatever other ranks, this thing, okay. So he's much older person than both of us, than him too. But the difference was that, you know what? Right? As soon as he entered, he stood up. Okay, the old discipline doesn't change. He immediately stood up. And I was looking at, okay, this is the army. Okay, this is the army. Protocol, okay? The protocol, the honor, yeah, the reverence which you give, you no, know, okay? So the Bible is talking about, there is a reverence to be given. Reverence to be given, okay? That, and we have to learn it. Husbands and wives have to learn to, because these are offices given by God. That is why reverence is. If God did not give an office, we don't have to rubber that office. But wherever an office has been given, we rubber the office and then pray, we grow up to fit into that office. So when, um, the issue happens the morning thing about it's that that no. Uh today you need the entire culture has changed where there is no reverence at all. Students call their profs by name mm. and the prof gets offended if you call him sir. It's all misplaced. Absolutely misplaced. You know, everything. If you look at the, the Western Christian old culture, the children always called, they uh, replied to the father yes, as sir. sir. Yes, yes. As sir. And they never talked back. They never, never talked back, no? So we have lost that. We have lost that. And then what happens? We have to go back to that. Uh, because the problem is that, you know, uh, we take this familiarity into our relationship with God and we cross boundaries. Oh. That is the issue. That is the issue. Okay, the love of God is one thing. The fear of God is another thing. This balances our walk with God. Our walk with God. And that is where the issue comes in. Like we are looking at it, when we are saying about in the morning, we always have to know that line. And in so many ways, if it is right in the house, right in the house, and the mother the mother is a pillar over there. The way the mother talks to the father will make a lot of difference to the children. Mm. How they see, they will realize this house has a head. The funny thing is that we all know it when we go to the office. <laughs> you never talk to your supervisor, your boss over there that way. Yet, when people come to the house, they go back into that. You can be very, very close, absolutely close, like Ada, Abraham and uh, Sarah. They were husband and wife for almost a hundred years. <laughs> but she called him Lord. Lord. Yep. She called him Lord. Yes. You, are, you are my head. I go by what you say. The reverence was not there, uh, never lost. And the closeness also was there. The closeness was there. The reverence was there. The children see it. You bring it to church. And the church becomes a very safe body where God can pour his anointing. No, poor is anointing. And that's what you see in David. And that's what David was losing and God had to correct him. 
because how he dealt with King Saul, he remembered the office and refused to sin against the office. Though the man sitting in the office did not fit the office, it made no difference. You wouldn't sin against the office. Let God judge him. Let God judge him. It's not my job because that is a, it's beyond my paycheck. He's, he's above me. Who am I to judge him? He's above me. Who am I to judge him? I will not take it into my own hands because he's got an office and I will honor and respect the office. And everybody who thought they would get some money out of Jacob, out of David for killing the king, he said, execute them. Execute them. They abuse the office. That's none of you. It's not your job. You abuse the office. So get that picture right. Amen. That was really a comprehensive answer. Thank you, Lord. Pastor. Yeah. We should look at some very personal questions. Yes. Because we are talking about new life. New life. This, yes. is, not, uh, this is question number 24. Question number 24. Should a person who was baptized before being saved be baptized again after his conversion? Hmm. Can we put the AC off for a little <coughs> while? Just switch off the AC, please. Just five, two minutes, five minutes. Because I think it's a little chilly, right? Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Should a person who was baptized before being saved be baptized again after his conversion? If yes... How important is it? Will it affect my salvation? Will I be judged if I don't get baptized? Okay. Let's go to the heart. Keep the question there, okay? Question there. First thing, let me tell you, if you got baptized before you were saved, it was not a baptism, it was a free bath. At the church's expense. At the church's expense. Especially if you are in Hyderabad, they paid for a tanker of Manchira water. <laughs> Mark sixteen sixteen. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not, even if you are baptized, is damned. That's what it means. Absolutely. First goes believing, then goes baptism. Mm. Okay, goes to baptism. First you have to believe. Then you get baptized. If you haven't believed and you got baptized, then what did you get baptized for? Mm. Who did you get baptized into? Mm. What was it all about? You don't even know what was it all about. Okay. What was it all about? So the Bible is very, very clear about the order because this is the issue in so many Catholic mainline churches is that they, I was sprinkled at eight days old and I had no clue who Jesus was for the next almost 20 years. <laughs> if I had gone on the strength of the sprinkling, I would have ended up in hell. Okay, So when I got saved, I had to get baptized. Okay, Believe and be, and be baptized. Because what is baptism? Baptism is your burial service. Mm. Okay, burial service. What is it? What happened inside, like you say, you know, uh, uh, it's like the wedding. It's like the wedding. How do you know uh, two people are married? Because there was a wedding. Okay. But you people, you see a boy and a girl walking together, you will know that they are not married. Mm. You're not married. No, this is boyfriend, girlfriend. This is not married. But if the same boyfriend and girlfriend who were married and uh, you attended the marriage and the next day you see them on the road walking together, you don't say anything. You know they were married. Mm. 
Okay, you were married. So baptism is like the wedding. It's the public ceremony of something that took place inwardly. You believed. Mm. You believed. You believed. And you were baptized. And the Jesus go back, going back over there, it is very important. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he believeth not. Okay? So when he is not bringing baptism over there, he is saying, you know what? It's not baptism that actually saves you from the penalty of sin. Mm. It is, what is that? It is believing that saves you from the penalty of sin. So what does baptism save you from? Baptism saves you from the power of sin. Mm. It's the beginning of the journey of the power of sin. When you believe, you receive Yeshua. When you are baptized, you experience Emmanuel, Mm. God with us, the first two promises. So baptism is the the only two ordinances given in the new covenant. One is the Lord's Supper. The other is baptism. In that order, baptism first and the Lord's Supper. Nothing else is given. So if you are not baptized, you have believed you are not baptized without understanding what is baptism and do not go through it believing in the ordinance of baptism. You will always struggle with the power of sin. You will never overcome. It will cause you eternally. I am not saying that if you are not baptized, you will not go to heaven. I am also not saying that if you do not get baptized, you will go to heaven either. Because in the Bible, Adam and the thief on one side, there was no unbaptized person Mm. in the entire new covenant. Everybody was baptized. And in many cases, they got baptized immediately. The morning portion, we looked in Acts chapter 12, the jailer and the family Mm. were baptized immediately. immediately. They believed and they got baptized. Okay, they got believed. Today we take a long time in baptizing is because people take a long time in believing. We'll understand, we'll ask, why do you take a so waiting period? The problem is you are not even very sure are they believing or not. Because the fact is that if you look at some of the people who say they want to get baptized, the hard truth is that it doesn't look like they really believe. They believe. You know, so... We don't want to put them into, uh, we don't want, let us say, let me give you a simple example, practical example. Okay, let us say, there is a young man and a girl in the church. Okay. They are planning to get married. But what I as a pastor see is that they are fighting every day. Fighting every day. Pastor, can we fix a wedding date? I said, can, can you please wait? What's the hurry? We are trying to be very polite. What's it? What's the hurry? Can you please wait? No, Pastor, we are in a hurry to get married. I said, really? Are you getting it? Baptism is a very radical experience. And when you see a person who is not interested in God that way, the salvation part of it is not radical, then why do you want to get baptized? This is my simple question. Mm. On the day of Pentecost, the Bible says very clearly, he urged them with many words, save yourself from this corrupt generation. And all those who received gladly. his word gladly mm. were baptized. Mm. So suddenly, if you go over there, you will understand the purpose of salvation. Acts chapter 2 and verse 40. Mm. 
in uh, verse 37 or something, he told them what they need to be get. Uh, not 14. 40, 44. Okay. Okay. First he tells them what they need to get uh, saved. That is verse uh, 38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you. Then if you come to verse 40, he said this, explaining the uh, yeah, promise of oh, verse 40. With many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So what does baptism do? It saves you from this world. It saves you from this world. Like a wedding does. What does a wedding do? It separates you from the rest of humanity. Now until death part, you are together. Whether you like it or not, you are together. You are separated from the rest of the family. That's why the girl comes on the father's arm and goes back with her husband on her husband's arm. There is a separation. Separated from everybody else. That is exactly what the baptism means. When you go down under the water, you are basically saying, I die to this world. I have died to this world. I am buried, died with Christ, buried with Him. When you rise up, you are rising as a new person. Remember, the world is not dead. Mm. You died to the world. Yes. Your father is not dead. Your mother is not dead. Your brothers and sisters are not dead. Your friends are not dead. They are all there. But you are personally saying, compared to my response, my love, my loyalty, my responsible to you, it is like they are dead. If any day I have the choice to choose between you and them, I will always choose you. In righteousness, not in unrighteousness, but it is. That is what it actually means. Okay, there has to be a balance, okay? We are not abandoning because we have another question connected with that. Okay, so please understand that is what a wedding means and that is what salvation means. So like we say in the Bible, I mean our wedding services that a wedding has, you cannot take it lightly, irreverently. We have to say, don't take your baptism lightly and irreverently because once you are baptized, the enemy has got his cross hairs on you. Because he knows, you identified publicly with Christ. I am coming after you. I am coming after you. Because you say you belong to Christ now. You don't belong to the world anymore. Okay, and we have to understand. So will it affect my salvation? Yes, it does affect your salvation. It affects your growth. It affects a lot of things. Effects. I will show you Pastor, one is, another is, thing is that it says it, that if you believe and baptize, you are saved, right? Yeah. There is no guarantee of salvation per se. In, uh, you because you know what, you will never see. Let me uh, let me put it in terms which people understand. Okay, let us say. Okay, John, young John is there. Okay, John is there. John is a young man. You are twenty, twenty-two. Yeah, 22, 23 years. So let's say um, four years from now, two years from now, he's got this girlfriend. Let us say he's got this girlfriend. Okay. Whenever he wants to go with girlfriend, because he's with us in our church, our custody, he'll be very fidgety. Right? If pastor sees, ma sees, pastor Vijay sees, okay, he'll be always fidgety. But let us say, in the year 2023, 2024, he gets married. And after that, he's not frigid. Okay? Gives him a liberty. Okay? As long as you haven't believed and get baptized, you'll always doubt your salvation. 
all waste out. Why is he not fidgety? Because there was a day. And publicly it was endorsed. Go with this girl. She's yours. Go with her. Nobody's going to ask him anything. Some of our young people, when they got married, young people, they are, I mean, old enough to get married, but they look very young. So they are going for their honeymoon. Do you know what? I WhatsApp them first. I WhatsApp them there. Their uh, wedding certificate. I said, you know what? Keep this with you <laughs> because you look very young. <laughs> In case there is some issue with at the lobby or some other issue happens over there, please show we are married. Because in India, uh, sometimes there's a tip-off and the police raids all the rooms, drug tip-off, and then they pick up all these couples saying, are you married? This is not West. In West. Okay? So I said, be very sure. Don't get into trouble. Okay? In the same way, baptism is also an assurance for you. Mm -hmm. God gives you something and you also know that I died and I'm united with Christ Jesus. Will I be judged if I don't get baptized? I guess so. <laughs> I have to say so. In the light of the world, mm -hmm. you will be, you will be judged in the sense God will say, even when you reach heaven, you will say, you law. Let's, let's go to, uh, Acts chapter 19, the losses of baptism. If you don't get baptized. Verse 1 mm -hmm. to 6. It happened when Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through upper regions, came to Ephesus. Finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, We have not so much have heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. Mm. Then he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? So they into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people they should believe on him who should come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. So John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. Mm -hmm. It was not a baptism of salvation. Mm -hmm. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you do not receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit because you have not been baptized in water. It becomes a block. Okay. In the Cornelius case, God overruled it because the Holy Spirit was going for the first because they needed that so that they, otherwise the Jews wouldn't have baptized them in water. <laughs> God also knows people. They didn't want anybody to include. So he baptized them in the Spirit that Paul said they also received the water to stop them from getting baptized, baptized in water. But usual procedure is that this is the order. You repent. You will repent means you turn around the way you go. You turn around. And you will be turning around all your life as you hear the truth. You repent. You believe. You get baptized. And you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is the order. order. The order in goes. So can it affect you? Yes, it can mm. affect you. You can miss so many things in life from God simply because you did not. I Okay. Another example which we have used in our messages, okay? John, you are today's Bakra, okay? John, you are Bakra. So imagine, okay? Some of the, uh, this, you don't get scared uh, by the examples, like it's just an illustration, okay? So imagine John has got this girl, girlfriend, okay? He's got this girlfriend. He really cares for her. She cares for her. And imagine um, John is working for cognizant, enforces something, he's worked for five years, he's made his packet of money, he's bought an apartment, everything, and he, and then suddenly he dies in a car accident. Does the girl get the house? No. But she loves her. She doesn't get the house. 
Okay, he's going going to get married, and the marriage ceremony has is taking place. The vows have been has not been exchanged yet. They are walking down the aisle. He has a heart attack and dies. Does the girl get his house? No, no. Vows are over. Married rights to register has been signed. As soon as he signs, he falls backward and dies. Get the girl, get the house. Yes. She does. She does. Because she's his wife now. Okay. So we need to understand there are so many things which God has for us. But he says, go through the waters first. Say that mm. you are mine. I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. Mm. You haven't told anybody that you belong to me. If you don't belong to me, then how can I give you things that belong to me? You're getting the picture? So baptism is a very important thing, very important thing. You need to understand, this is a very, very clear command of the Lord. On the day of Pentecost, Peter says, repent and be baptized. In Mark chapter 16, God says, believe and be baptized. You have to put this together. So repent, believe and be baptized. And he who is baptized, uh, sorry, he who does not believe, he is damned. So it doesn't matter what happens to you. Okay? And then Jesus gives the command, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and it's all our commands, baptize them. So you have to go in that order. There is repentance, there is believing, and there is baptism. And then there is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So it's, it's, these are all part of your journey. Mm. I'm saying, all of this thing can happen within five minutes. <laughs> Those are individual parts. You can repent. You can believe. And you happen to be like the jailer. Or uh, like the... You get baptized. You receive the Holy Spirit. And you go ahead with your life. And you get keep getting the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is one thing. The gifts of the Holy Spirit is one thing. You receive the anointing. Increase and These are all different stages of your life. But it is all part of it. But where does it all start? It starts with baptism. It starts with a marriage. Where does everything start in a, in a, in a family? It starts with the marriage. The wedding. Not the marriage with the wedding. And then the journey begins. In that journey, after the wedding, many things are added. But there is a day. That day is the day of your baptism. So it's important. Yes, Pastor Vich. We'll go to that other question. Yes, this is question number 25 again related to marriage, Pastor. Because we've been talking about baptism. I have been, this is question number 25. I have been married for a few years. But the issue is that my husband is still more of a son to his mother, his parents, than a husband to me. This affects our relationship a lot. We have fights. We have hardly any physical intimacy and almost no communication. I try to come close to him, but he is not interested. I don't know what to do. First thing I will say what to do is, you heard this morning, build your prayer altar for restoration. I do believe everyone around the world, all who are going through this, this is a year of restoration. But this is an issue. This is an issue in in marriages. You cannot change the law of marriage. Because the law of marriage was set by God. Mm. The law of marriage was set by God. And the law of marriage, the first law of marriage, there are two things if you go into Genesis chapter 2. Okay? The first thing you need to realize is, is in chapter 2 verse 18. And second thing is verse 24. 
2.18. The Lord said, it is not good that man should be alone. First primary, because you saw in that question, there is no communication. Mm. There is no communication in your marriage. Your marriage is on the rocks. Hmm. You have to go deal with it. You have to deal with it. Otherwise, your marriage will break down. First purpose of marriage is communication. Second purpose of marriage is your wife is your helper, not your mother. Who's your helper? Your wife. She's your sounding board, not your mother. She's the one. She is your helpmate, not your mother. In this case, I'm putting it in context. You can bring anything else there. Mother, brother, father, whatever it is. It's your wife who's your helpmate. It's a loss of marriage given before the fall. It is it till Jesus comes back. This is the rule of marriage. Mm. Okay. First purpose of marriage is communication. That is why it is good. That's why God says, do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Why? There's no communication. communication yeah. Your communication is limited. You will have to be carnal in your communication. You will have to be worldly in your communication. Why do two believers get married? Because they can have fellowship. The first purpose is fellowship. Talk. Second, your wife is your help. Okay? Not your, not your mother. Even if your mother is in your own house because of necessity or whatever, she's not your helper. It is your wife. Your mother is your father's helper, not your helper. Mm-hmm. Understand that very clearly. It's your father's help. I'm not saying you shouldn't ask advice if needed and all. But as far as possible, no. You can make use of their uh, experience. Certain things, they have experience. You can ask their counsel if you need it. But she's not your helper. Your wife is your helper. The second thing, second law of marriage is given in verse 24. Okay? What does it say? Therefore... I like direct princes. Whenever you see a therefore, you should ask, why is it there? <laughs> so you go to verse 23. <laughs> 23. Adam said, this is now bone of my bones, the flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore. 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 Therefore, remember, she is part of you. She's not separate from you. Your wife is part of you. This is a very, that's why Paul says as a bachelor, I don't understand this, but I know it's a mystery, but I know Christ has put marriage as a symbol of his relationship with church. So you need to ask this simple question, is the church part of Christ or not? Hmm. The church is not part of Christ and the wife is not your part. The wife is your part, the church is a part of Christ. You can't have one without the other. Oh, I am part of Christ, but she's not part of me. God says, wait a second over there. I put a symbol before the world. She's part of you, and the church is part of me. Get your foundations very, very clear, both man and woman. Get it very, very clear. This is the foundation of marriage. First foundation, it is for fellowship. Second, she's your helper. She's your helper. And not your mother. Okay. These issues can happen. When you have a mother and a wife in the same house, okay, there will be, initially there will be conflict. 
I'm not saying the wife should not ask the mother, not the son. Wife, not the son. You come to my house, I ask my mother nothing. My wife asks my mother what she wants to know. She accepts she has brought him up. She knows what he likes, what he eats, what he, she knows that. But I don't ask my mother. I don't even ask my mother to cook for me. I don't ask. It goes through her. Because you know why? She's my helper, not my mother. You ask whether I have asked anything to my mother all these years after my mother moved into my house. It's protocol. But ask what a good relationship my wife has with my mother and everything that I like, she finds out from my mother and gets the maid to cook. Or my mother makes sometimes, very rarely, but that's the way it is. Because you know who is my helper? Wife. My wife, mm-hmm. not my mother. Mm-hmm. Understand these things. This is how God has put it. Therefore, God says, the woman is a part of man. She was taken out of him. She's a part of man. Therefore, what will happen? Therefore, man shall leave his father and mother. What is he saying? You are birthed by your mother, your father, through your mother, but you are not part of them. You are not part of them. Your mother is a part of your father. You are not part of your father and mother. Mm. You are not. You are not. Spiritually speaking, you are not part of your father and mother. Love them, honor them, take care of them. All those things are there. All those things are there. In their old age, honor them. Meaning, how do you honor your parents in their old age? The question, it's all related to family. Jesus told the Pharisees, you know, you guys are very smart. Mm. Very smart. You see, if you have something, you will say Qurban. Oh, now I have dedicated to the Lord. Therefore, I don't have to take care of my parents. He said, no. When you are children, you obey your parents. When you are, when they are old, you honor them by taking care of them if they need to be taken care of. That's how you honor them. Not by obeying them. By obeying them, you are dishonoring them. Because you are on your own. That means you have never grown. You have never matured. You don't have a space of your own. You don't have a home of your own. By obeying them when you are an adult, you are not honoring them. But you are honoring them by taking care of them. That's how you honor your parents. How do you honor your parents? You honor your parents if they have a need. I mean, many parents like in US and all, they need, don't need their children to be taken care of. They can take care of them. But that is what you do as a child, adult child with his own home. You take care of your parents' needs. So if they don't need material need, they will have it as like I tell Pastor Vijay, you know, keep going home with your kids because you know what? Grandparents enjoy grandkids. Grandkids joy for them. Okay, so how do you take care of them? When you go there, you sp- your grandchildren spend time with them. That's how you take care of them. Little things which you do. Okay. So we need to realize the Bible is very, very clear. And then you go back for this purpose. Therefore, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother. Okay, that's the first one. And can I have KJV? Because KJV puts it so beautifully. 
For this purpose, or for their for this purpose is of course an highway. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife. Understand this. If you don't leave your father, why did he put father and mother? Because that is the top of your relationships in this world. Everything else comes. So when he says father and mother, it means everything else. When Jesus says, if you love your father and mother, wife, children more than me, you cannot become my disciple. He puts them first. So when the father and mother is put there, everything else is there in life. Basically he is saying, if you don't leave your father and mother or other attachments in this world, all you can have is Sex with your wife and not intimacy. Look at the question. There is no intimacy because there is no leaving. There is no leaving. There is hardly any physical intimacy. You know why? Because you have been left. And you need to ask yourself in my life, both the man and the woman, sometimes women won't leave. Sometimes men don't leave. And when man also doesn't leave, women also leave. They like go like a railway track in the same direction but never touching each other. They are not one, they are two. But they are together. They are not husband and wife. They are roommates in a hostel room. And that's not what the Bible talks about. Mm-hmm. The Bible talks about, this is where the problem comes. The problem comes, you are not able to cleave to your wife. Like Pastor uh, Vijay said uh, on the Sunday before our Christmas, uh, sorry, watch nights of the Sunday, the two words he said, solitude. Solitude is not isolation. It's not isolation. Solitude is being alone with one person. Okay, You're not isolating yourself from the world. Mm-hmm. You're being alone with your wife. That space you give her. The space the husband gives the wife. The wife gives the husband. Why are marriages so shaky and so miserable? Is simply because we haven't kept the foundational rule in Genesis chapter 2. God framed marriage. He made man. He set the rules. You break the rules, it's at your own peril. The best place to be is home. The worst place to be is also home. Marriage can be heaven on earth or hell on earth. It's your choice. How do you make it heaven? One, this is the truth. The truth sets you free. This is the truth. He shall leave his father and mother. That's the first thing. There is a detachment from all. Second, he shall cleave unto his wife. And two, third, they shall become one. Leave, cleave, and be. This becoming one is a process. In this becoming one, you know what, what happens is, sex may be become, become less and less and less. As you grow older, actually, let's be honest with you, it becomes less and less. And you don't need sex. Because age is capping. But the oneness has become more and more and more. Because the entire idea is oneness. The whole purpose is oneness. Oneness. A wife and a, a man and a woman who has become one that way, she is more of a helper to him now than she was when she was young. Uh, yes. If you go in that process. That process yeah. More of a helper to him. And he's more of a head than when he began. So marriage is a mystery. But this is the issue. If you go back over there, it becomes an issue. Go back to the question. question. You know, you will see, okay, and it affects our relationship a lot. They have, a, they have fights and hardly any physical intimacy. You see, what happens, let me tell you, 
in a in a normal marriage. You know, because people get married when they are young. In a marriage, typical marriage is that the first initial, let us say, weeks, months, all of the marriage is entirely sexual. Mm. This intimacy you feel, but it's because it is sexual. But that's not what marriage is. Mm. Marriage is intimacy with the person. It is the person. It is the person. Two people, two persons are becoming one, not two bodies. Mm. Two bodies, you can become one with anybody. Mm. It's not a very difficult thing. But you will suddenly realize, that's what Paul talks about, about being one with a prostitute. Okay, But the issue, issue over here, that's why God, even in the law in Israel, gave the soldier a year off when he got married. Why? To get to know your wife and for the wife to get to know. Okay? And the first one, two years of your marriage are very, very important. Constantly you have to counsel people. Don't fill your days with activities that takes time from each other. Each other. Because the bonding, like with the, the, between the parents, like we have a baby upstairs, the bonding takes place in the first few years of a child. The bonding, the oneness between a man and a woman takes place in the first couple of years. You get to know each other. You have your likes, you have your dislikes. And because your passion level is there at very, very high, it is very easy to discuss because you both are trying to please each other. Mm, so you are willing to change. The Bible says in First Corinthians, if a woman wants to serve God, let him remain single because if he gets married, he wants to please her. And she want, gets married, she wants to. So there is a period in your, what you call the honeymoon period in your, in your marriage where you want to please each other. Want to please each other. And that is the time you iron out your differences. But the problem is, you get married and your marriage is full of things that take you from each other away. You will be always struggling in your marriage. Always struggling in your marriage. And what happens, the marriage becomes a very... And then the children come. Now it takes away more time. Already there is no communication between the Husband and the wife. And you know what happens? The, usually the mother starts putting all her time, effort, communication into the child. That is basically why Indian mothers won't leave their children out even when they grow up and get married. Because she never got her love and appreciation and acceptance from her husband, so she clings on to her children. Clings to on the children. So she is in retrospective effect. She is trying to get from her sons what she did not get from her. So she interferes in the family life every day. This is what you need to do. What you need to do. What you need to do. And the problem is, this son, because the umbilical cord was never cut, he is not marrying a woman. He is marrying his mother. He is marrying his mother. What he expects from his wife is his mother. And if she is not like him, her, then he is still clinging on to his mother. Clinging on to his mother. This is what destroys marriages. Destroys. Mm -hmm. Marriage has to be like Rebecca's. Mm -hmm. 
He walked away. Will you go? Just under seven days, she said, no, when will you go tomorrow? Gone. Never goes back. Has she forgotten her family? No, when her son is in trouble, she thinks about her family. But it's no. You think about your family, you visit your family, you love your family and all, but you know you are not one with them. You are one with this man. And the man knows, I am not one with them, I am one with this woman. Mm. And you have to create that space. One of the simple things, I'm honestly, like we started this in the morning, simple things to do it is that, whatever profession you are involved in, don't bring it home. Don't bring it home. Leave your office at your office and come home. And don't take your home to office. Mm. Don't take your home to your office. I'm not saying it's an emergency, you shouldn't, but I'm taking on a general principle. When you have stepped in through the front door, you've forgotten your office. Now it's all about home till you leave. Relax, have a coffee, spend time with your wife and your children. Enjoy your family. In the morning, when you step out of the house, pray, bless each other, forget your family, go and give a good day's work at your office. Terrible workers we have. It is not, not they are not good in actually what they do, but they are inefficient. You know why? Because their minds are split. They're sitting in the office worrying about home, sitting at home and worrying about office. So you actually do justice to nobody. Mm. Nobody. You ask my wife, from the time I go back home in the evening, till I wake up next in the morning, do I take my Bible out? I don't. I don't take my Bible out. It's a simple principle. We'll pray in the night. But once I have finished from here and I go, because I'm in ministry, I don't take my ministry there. What we do is a family thing, but we don't take, I don't take my ministry there. Mm. When does my ministry begin again? At 3.30 in the morning. But that is home. That is home. That is home. And if, the first question, if you ask, the first person I look for is, is Siri there? <laughs> because we have a child in the house. Second question I ask is, is Andrew back from the gym? Okay. Then if he's back from the gym and he's in the bathroom, we wait. I said, knock him. Come down. You know why? Let's eat together. Let's eat together. Okay, until we retire into our own rooms, we all sit in the front room. We all sit over there. This is family. Don't bring your office to your homeland ministry. It's more difficult because people will keep calling this prayer. They have no concern about time or anything. But we still, I mean, we have to help them out, pray for them something. But on a general principle, how do you guard this space called home? Mm. You can have visitors and all that. All that, that's a different thing. But that's not a general principle. I guess I understand what I'm talking about. General principle. You don't bring your office home and you don't take your office home to your office. And have you noticed the number of marriage breakups and tension and divorces that took place in the last two years when the home and the office became one. Mm. We thought we thought it would have made things better. No. It made things worse. Mm. It made things worse. Because suddenly men and women realize when they're put together for 24 hours, they don't like each other. Mm. They don't like each other. They didn't deal with the issues in the first two years of marriage. Mm. Everything is coming out. Everything is coming out. They're becoming claustrophobic because you two people are shut in the... But you're supposed to be one. Why are you claustrophobic? Adam and Eve was together in the garden for I don't know how long before they were kicked out. And they were kicked out together. <laughs> they were kicked out separately. Okay. 
We need to understand this. Because you see, both parties have to receive this. A woman alone receiving it is not going to change her marriage. And she will be always waiting and longing, waiting and longing, waiting and longing, and nothing is happening. The man alone doing this is also not going to happen, because now we have women who work, who bring their work home. Okay? So, there are so many marriages which are working very well in this world. Do you know why? Because the husband and my wife meet only for 20 minutes a day. By the time he comes and finishes shift and comes, she's getting ready to go. So they're very happy because they don't see each other. Now that is not a typical marriage. It's a happy, happy place. Okay? So this is, this is the issue. Mm-hmm. These are issues. And some men, I'm telling you, it is not their mother. It is their friends. Married, but always bachelor. Hmm? Indeed. Married, but available. Macha, gone. Before she knows he's gone, he disappeared. One call from his friend is gone. Okay, no. When you left your father and mother, you left everybody. I'm not saying you should not have friends and, you know, but life has a radical, it's like salvation. Once you're married, you're a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I'm not saying isolate your family, no, but you get more into families, other families. You have time for this thing and all. But primarily, you realize you are one. So with men, it can be their family, mother especially, not so much father. Second, it can be their friends. Or third, it can be their activities they like. Activities they like. Okay. Now, I am not saying the husband and wife and children should together, sit together seven days a week and all. But you have to find common activities. Which you do together. Common activities you together. Get involved in church activities. Oh, yes. Get involved in the church. Serve in the church. Get involved over there in things like that. Okay? Or have a Bible study in your house. Different things people can do. People can do. Because how long should you do it? Until the bond is secured. Yep. Bond is set. Mm. The bond is not set. You will always, your, your, your uh, marriage will be always shaky. Mm. Your marriage is shaky because this year, if God is going to restore, first he will shake the foundations. Because he doesn't build on shaky foundations. Yes. He will shake the foundations of your marriage, not to break it, but to really make it. Mm. He will remake it. He's saying your foundations were all wrong. Come back, both of you, repent, put it all right before, I will restore your marriage. And when he restores your marriage, he says, it will be better than it was before. Mm-hmm. Whenever God restores, it will be always like that. It's always better than it was before. So marriage is a major, major issue. It's a, it's a battle for our homes. And men and women have to be dedicated to that, to be dedicated to that. And you have, you have to be very careful also in your conversations, husband and wives, you have to be very, very careful. One, husband should not speak ill about the girl's mother to her, her father or mother to her. Don't speak that. That's her parents. Second, the wife should not speak ill about the husband's parents. This is our question. Is it, let me ask you this question. 
Jesus is married to the church. Right? Yeah. Jesus is married to the church. Who is God to Jesus? Father. And who is God to the church? Father-in-law or father? Father. Father. Please remember, once you're married, you don't have a father-in-law or a mother-in-law. You have only fathers and mothers. Get that right. In your mind. Get that right. Her father is my father. Her mother is my mother. And she says, your father is my father. And your mother is your mother. I will treat them the same way. Understand? Otherwise, God is my father-in-law. Because Christ is my husband. Get this very, very clear. Okay. Oh, no, she is not my mother. She is my mother-in-law. No, she is. She is my mother. How can she say mother? Because we are one. We are not two. We are one. If we are one, that is Ruth saying, whatever you say, I am that. Where you go, I go. Your people, my people. Okay. So don't think this father-in-law, mother-in-law thing. That is just a tag to identify. But her father is your father. Her mother is your mother. His father is your father. You see, Unfortunately, in my case, I, I didn't see my father-in-law or my mother-in-law. But if I had seen them, you know, I've seen them, I would love them. I would love them. Okay, I would love them. But I have no issues. I wouldn't call them even father-in-law. I would only call them father, dad, or mom. I wouldn't call them my dad-in-law. I wouldn't <coughs> call them. And I wouldn't treat them also. Also differently. Okay, so understand these fundamentals. When you understand these fundamentals, you will realize, you know what? It works out well. There is no conflict between your family and my family. You know what? Your family, my family. My family, your family. But we are separate from both. We have our home. That's the difference. Your home and your household. Your home and your household. These are two different things. One is your home. The other is your household. So at this time of restoration, break those umbilical cords. Mm. It's your mother, it's your father, it's your friends, it's your hobby. Um, okay. I'm not, I'm not against hobbies, but any hobby that consumes your time is a stumbling block. Yeah. Even for us, it can be our ministry. Can be our, our ministry can be like a stumbling block to, you ask, any man of God, from Billy Graham to Derek Prince to every one of them. If God were to give you a second chance to redo your life, what would you do? Would you minister differently? They said, no, you would spend more time with our home. Every one of them, without exception, one thing they say. What would you do differently? Would you preach differently? No. Would you change your doctrine? No. <laughs> what would you do differently? You would spend less time ministering and more time at home. We realize as we go closer to our death, we realize how we are going to be judged. We will be told, fail your home. Fail your home. Because I keep telling, God is a homemaker. And he calls saints in heaven and earth his family and calls himself a father. So let restoration take place in the homes. Actually, if all the homes in our church and the individuals are restored, we may have to preach maybe 20 minutes on a Sunday. 
can have one hour worship before that, one hour worship after that, have two hours for fellowship, be very happy, church. Why do we have to preach one and a half hours? Because individuals and homes are not restored. So we have to hammer them with the truth until it gets into the thick skulls. Mm. They're not getting it. Because when Jesus comes back, he's coming back for his family, for his home. You read Revelation chapter 21. Earth is not going to heaven. Heaven is coming down to earth. Christ is God is coming. And I shall be a father. I shall wipe your tears. The dwelling place of God is with man. man. So please don't. The entire purpose of all of this is that our homes will become secure and we have a ministry. Comes from a secure home. Otherwise your ministry will be always insecure. God wants to give everyone a ministry. But if your ministry has to be secure, your home has to be secure. If a home is insecure, you know, your wife is unhappy. Wife is unhappy. And your children are miserable. Then your ministry is a mess. You look at First Peter chapter 3 seven. and verse 7. Mm. Look at what is told to men there. Mm. Like we husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. How can you dwell with them according to knowledge if you don't dwell with them in the first place? (laughs) (laughs) Knowledge comes from dwelling, right? We all know each other better because of the amount of time we have spent with each each other. other. The more you spend time with somebody, you know that person more and better. Okay? Okay? And uh, same way, knowledge. How do you know? Because you... Spend time giving honor unto the vessel as unto the weaker vessels and being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers be not. Look at that. God says, you know what? If your relationship with your wife is not there, you're not going to get any restoration or any breakthrough. It's not going to happen. I will not listen to your prayers. A lot of people are struggling in their homes. They don't realize it. Lord, why don't you? So it is. Get it right. Madam. <laughs> Adam? Madam is unhappy. Madam? Adam is upset. Would you just put it right? We put it right. Okay. Put it right. Because a woman knows very easily when her husband is not first. Mm. She's not first in her, in her life. I'm talking in human relationship. Women can sense it very easily if she comes first in his life or not. The man will sense very easily if she comes first. He comes first in her life or not. And like God won't take second place in our life, neither will he or she take second place in your life. Will not. All the conflict is from that. If she knows she is first in your life, even if you're a lazy slob, she will do everything to make you happy. Mm. (laughs) On the other hand, if she knows she is second in your life. Even if you bring a bucket full of money every month, she will make your life miserable. <laughs> make your life miserable. Epignosis. Like, epignosis. <laughs> this is how it works. Experiential knowledge. <laughs> this is how it works. Because that's the way God made it. That is the way God made it. 
Okay, what does it mean? Leave everybody clear. What does it mean? You, are, you come first. Simple reason you come first. Jesus also say, with God, you come first. More than your wife, parents, everybody, you come first. And on earth, horizontally, you come first. Not even the children. Yeah. Some of the counseling we have to give, nursing mothers is, you know what? Don't isolate your husband. Mm. Watch over your baby, protect your baby, take care of your baby, but your husband is first. You mm. should not feel like his affections have gone. Now you are all over your baby. Your baby is not your husband, your husband is not your baby. Mm. <laughs> Though you can call him baby. <laughs> 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 get this very very clear because sometimes wives forget forget this thing there's a man wandering around lost <laughs> he doesn't know what to do because she's all over the baby enjoy your baby together but he still comes first why? because according to the covenant he will never leave you but this child will leave you mm, the home one day yes after the baby is gone, oh, child has grown up and gone. Okay, now let us make up. You'll realize there is nobody to make up. Because you lost him years back. Mm. He already found his life somewhere else, some other interest, and is involved in it. You lost him. When did I lost you? In the first two years when you had your baby, you lost me. I was there. But mm. suddenly you, did, you acted as if I was not there in your life. So these things are all very, very... Fundamental. That does not mean you both walk with each other 24-7, 7 days. That is crazy. It is not that. Mm. I am talking about when you have that bond, you have the liberty. Man. You have the liberty. You can leave your wife for two weeks, two months, two years, but you have the liberty knowing, you know what, doesn't matter how far the distance is, we are still one. Amen. We are still one. When necessity comes. Otherwise, how will soldiers survive? Their marriages all should break up. Mm. Their marriages don't break up. They are away on duty. Because the call of duty is very, very distinct. But the call of duty should not break this bond. The bond is so strong that when you come back, okay, it is like you never left. Mm. You never left. You are always there. You are always there. These are fundamental pictures and you have to work at marriage is a very serious work. You have to work at your marriage and go back and you know, put things right and say, sorry honey, I avoided you or sorry. I don't have to call him Lord. If you call him, it's nice. You'll be very flattered. Mm-hmm. Prabhu, if you want to call him, you want to call him. Okay. So you tell him, no, I realized I neglected you. I was too busy with my friends or social media or the child, whatever it is. I was too busy with other people and I didn't give you the time that you were looking for. Okay, therefore you switched over to other things. He hung around, he waited and found she's not in. It can happen either way. He waited, he looked and realized she's not interested. Then he, okay, I will also occupy myself with something else. And then he also, like parallel tracks they are running. Do they love each other? Yes. Are they kind to each other? Yes. Are they one? No, they are two. They are not one, they are two. They're not. That is not what Jesus said. The church does not have an identity apart from Christ. Mm-hmm. And Christ says, I don't want an identity apart, apart from, from the, the church. church. Yeah. I cannot change. You have to change. But I will change you so that you become one with me. The entire purpose of sanctification in the church is so that the church can, can become one with Jesus. One which, that's why, because he doesn't have to change. He's holy, pure, sanctified, absolutely. We have to change. What is the purpose of sanctification? Mm. 
What is the purpose of sanctification? Why are people not interested in sanctification? Because they don't understand the principle of marriage. Wow. Yes. Understand the principle of marriage. The purpose of sanctification is so that one day I will become one with Christ. Living now in the spirit and one day literally I am one with him. And the Bible talks about in the book of Revelation, 144,000, they followed the lamb wherever he went. Why? Because on earth they were never separated from him. Hmm. They were one with him in the spirit. Wherever he led, they went here. Therefore, wherever he goes, they will go with him there. Okay? That is how marriages are. It's a huge thing, huge thing. And my prayer in 2022 is, Lord, restore marriages. There will be a lot of humbling to do. Humbling to do. Men will have to humble themselves. Eat humble pie and say, you know, I goofed up. I goofed up. I'll go back. I'll go back and be that man of that house. I'll be that spiritual head. I will lead my family. I will spend time with God. I will my altar with God in the morning so that I can come back and I can have something to speak into my family. Mm. That's what Lebanon Derek Prince teaches it beautifully about the man. He is the head as he head like Christ. He has three roles. He's a priest. Prophet. He's a prophet yes. and he's a king. Mm. Okay, as a priest, he ministers on behalf of his family before God, like Job did for his family. As a prophet, he hears from God and speaks into his family. And as a king, he rules over the affairs of his family, the three roles. But it all begins because he's a priest with God first. He has spent his time with God. He has put God first. He has heard from God. Then he comes back and is able to do that. That is why marriage is such an important thing. Don't be unequally married. Mm. Now that you are married, try to be equal. Try to be equal. Try to work on these things. Build your marriage back. And the honest is always on, always, always upon the man. People think the honest is upon the woman. Not usually. If you are, both are believers, the honest is on the man. It was Abraham who went to Lot, not Lot who went to Abraham. It is God who came down as man, not man who went to God. If you believe you are the head, then you need to say like Jesus, the buck stops with me. I will try to restore. What do I have to do? Put it, put it right. Okay, put it right. And you will have to be willing. And the woman should be willing to also change so that the home becomes a happy place for the children. Because children don't need toys. They don't need toys. They don't need toys. All I'm telling you, all said and done, when I look back, my home, except when dad was drinking, home was a happy, happy place. And we had no toys. (laughs) It was such a happy place. Can still have been awesome memories of home. You're not a believing family. But you don't have to be a believing family to be happy. There are many Hindu and Muslim families which are very happy. You, know, you wouldn't believe. We ate together every day. We played together as a family. And night my father was crazy. You know, he used to dress us all up. And we used to sing songs. We used to dance. I have pictures, black and white pictures. We had no drum and all. I can still see the picture. Amultin, one person is now this thing. The sisters are dressed up and dancing. And my father is also playing. Every day it was party time. As if the prodigal had come back home. It was fun. Home was fun. We always played games which everybody could. If there are four people, we played cards. 
Only two we played chess. Or we went, evening we went and played in badminton. Home was such a, such a happy place. And we were good with neighbors and neighbors, friends and all. But home was so, so happy. And I thank God for that. Because I have never lost the concept about home. I didn't learn the concept about home from the Bible. I learned the concept about home from my home. That home is a very, very happy place. And it is on the father. The father was sober. The house was very happy. The father was drunk. The whole home became very, very Miserable. There's fights and there was, you know, his child was looking around what was happening over there. But when he was sober and he didn't drink, it was a happy, happy place. And you need to realize, you know, and he was the principal. Mom was the teacher, except during exam correction time. He didn't bring his work home. Sometime, okay, answer papers have to be done. He didn't bring his work home and he didn't take his home to the office. You can make a home a very, very happy place, mm. ultimately. Because we are going home one day. We ask you this question, you are saved, but you are not happy at home. How do you expect to be happy in heaven? Because heaven is a home. Mm. It's not an office. <laughs> it's not an office. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> heaven is not an office. Mm. Heaven is a home. Heaven is not where bachelors gather. It's a home. Heaven is not a place where girls go shopping. It's a home. Mm-hmm. Activities which people get into. It's a home. And if you are not happy about the whole idea about home, how are you going to be happy in heaven? So please work on that. Please, please work on that. Cut the umbilical gods. Honor them by taking care of them. Inquire about them. Visit them. Do all that. Second, talk. And with all young couples who has come to me for counseling, what is one thing I say? When you are young, married in your 20s, your 30s, though you have children, come together as often as you can. Mm. You don't have to have another baby, but come together as often as you can. Why? It's a command. Mm. Unless you are fasting. Because the more you come together, as a couple, the more intimate you will become. Your fights will be forgotten. Your misunderstandings will go. You will see when there are fights, there is no intimacy. No communication, no intimacy. Okay, Because these are all things which God has factored into it. Well, let's read that. Is this not, I'm not giving you some sex advice or something. This is Bible. And Bible is talks about sex because all this was created by God and he said it is very good. He didn't say it is bad. Okay. Chapter 7 mm-hmm. and words 1 to 4. 1 to 5. Absolutely. Corinthians 7, 1 to 5. This is a fundamental law of marriage. Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Okay, he's talking about a single man. Nevertheless, sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her, her own husband. Okay, it's writing the Corinthian church. Okay, so now, but principle here. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, the wife does. Mm. 
do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourself to fasting and prayer and come together again. It's a command. Mm. So that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. It's a command given. Keep coming together. Why? You build your bond. You build your intimacy. Build your intimacy. Know this. And you will see lack of communication, lack of intimacy, your marriage is on the rocks. Verse 6 is actually says, mm-hmm. emphasizes it. Okay. Your marriage is in trouble. Okay. Six better. Mm. But I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. Okay. Okay. So the Bible, that basically is talking about the concession, is about the fasting part. Yes. The fasting part. Okay. Mm. Okay. Each one, uh, okay. For I wish that all men, basically he's talking about, he says, I'm not saying that you should all get married. (laughs) If, If I were to give you a command, I would say don't get married. But if you get married, do render your duty to your spouse. Mm. Don't get it into it and say, okay, now I am not interested. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to get intimate with you. So don't get it into that. If you are, that's your idea, then don't get married. Once you get your married, everything changes. You have a duty in your marriage and fulfill your duties. Otherwise, God will ask, you'll put you into trouble. Mm. But remember, this again what we tell you during counseling. This physical intimacy is not at night. The physical part of it is at night, but the communication for that physical intimacy begins in the morning. In English you say making love. You don't make love at night. You begin in the morning, the way you talk to one another. When you do not have communication through the night, day, and when you do want to have sex in the night, she feels like a prostitute or he feels like a male whore. That's the problem because there's no communication. And she feels used. He feels used. But there's been no communication. Either way. And that's not, that's why communication is very important in life. So get this, your bachelors and all, get this, get this very, very clear. Because you know, these are things that breaks marriages. You don't have, you may, you don't have sex at night. You start talking in the morning. And it builds up to this. But when you have nothing going through the whole day, and suddenly let us feel your hormone starts kicking, you're not looking for a wife, you're looking for a prostitute. Mm. And she's not a prostitute. And he is not a prostitute. Understand where they come from, and they need to understand where the man comes from. She's not looking for sex. She's looking for affection. Mm. You're looking for sex. Some women may be looking for sex and not affection. But either way, that's not what God is talking about. Go back over there. Look at here. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body. The husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Let him give you absolutely... Counsel to married couples, and I hope the children are not listening. Okay? In your marriage bed, ask yourself this question. Are you a giver or are you a taker? Mm. For it's more blessed to give than to take. Mm. Are you a giver or are you a taker? Ask yourself. Am I a giver or am I a taker? In everything in life, you can be either a giver or you can be a taker. And the sad part is many men are takers. 
They're not givers. Any men are takers. They're not givers. And God says, no. Telling both parties. What is the entire principle over there? Both parties. Each of you try to please the other. Not this thing. Both of you be givers and not takers. And in the process you will realize there is a spiritual intimacy, bonding that is taking place. Taking place. You see, the Bible talks about every facet of life. There is nothing untouched by the Bible. Every area of our life. You build your marriage that way. You know what happens. Two people understand what a marriage is. You go through that process. You know what? Your marriage is strong. Your marriage is strong. Physically, you are one. Mentally, your soul, you are one. And spiritually, you are on the same course. Same cause. Same purpose. You are no longer two. Mm. You are one. Otherwise, what happens? Soul is one way. Spirit is one way. Occasionally, the body is one. And that is not oneness in a marriage. Mm. Okay. Soul is one. You have the same aspiration, same agenda. I want, honey, you to prosper. She wants you to prosper. Each one is looking after one's well-being. Spiritually, both are sold out to God. And physically, both become one. You know what? This is God's ideal. See, if you don't have an ideal, you will never fight for something. Yes. There's you no need vision. to realize, mm. you need to have an ideal. Mm. So even if you never reach the ideal, it's like, what happens to a soldier who dies in Galwan? What is he called? He's called a martyr. Mm. Because he died for a cause. If you don't have a cause, then you have nothing worth living for. But in the pursuit of that cause, like a marriage as an ideal, home as an ideal, you fought for it, but you did not get it. But in the process, you died for it. You are still a martyr in God's kingdom. Mm-hmm. So you need to have ideals. You know. Home is an ideal. You can fight for all your life. It may never happen because it takes two hands to tango. But God will say, you were a martyr. You died for the cause. You fought for the cause. You never got it. But you know what he says? Home Eternally, you will be a very happy man or a happy woman because you fought and died for the right cause. The cause is here. All eternity. Welcome to my home. Mm. You understood. These are things which we need to understand. And I let me tell you, I'm very passionate about these things because I learned this early that you know what? If you don't, if you're not interested in a home, understand what is the responsibility of a home to the three bachelors here. Don't get married. Don't get married. Stay single. Serve God with all your heart. Perfectly fine. I give it to you as a concession. Marriage as a concession, not as a command. That's what Paul is saying in verse 6. I give you marriage as a concession and not a command. If I were to give you a command, I would say be single and serve God with all your heart. On the other hand, if you get married, these are the commands I have for Mm. married people. Mm. You have a duty to your wife. She is second, but she is second only to God. She's not second to anybody else. She's second only to God. She's not second to your children. She's not second to your work. She's not second to anything. She's second only to God. These things understand. And you will realize, you know what? You have peace with God. You have peace with man. Anointing is flowing. You know, And you will suddenly realize you don't need so many things to survive. Have you seen real happy houses? They don't have many things. They don't have many things. What they have is loving people. 
kind to one another, loving people. They don't have many things. And if they even have many things, they don't use most of the things because they have each other. <laughs> okay. They have each other. Let me ask you this question. Read either the Isaiah record of the millennium reign or the revelation record of heaven. How many things are mentioned there? <laughs> Each man a wine tree <laughs> and the rest of the house full of things. Nothing is mentioned. Nothing is mentioned. Person. The person. The person. Yeah. Things are made beautiful only because of the person. The person isn't there. What difference does the things make? Things make. So get this picture in right and go start working on your home. This is all people. When we understand, married people will realize you have to repent. Unmarried people will worry, should I get married or not? True. Ask God. It's a concession. This is the way with a man and a woman, it is better not to get married. <laughs> that is the apostolic. <laughs> Ask young people, no? can I actually fulfill this? So there's a preparation for marriage. Think about this, meditate upon this, prepare for those things. Okay, And actually, you know what, for young people, church is a good place to get ready for marriage. Mm-hmm. Serve God in the church with all your heart. Wherever you find, serve. Mm-hmm. Serve them. And you know what, in your home, if you're a child, serve your home. In the church, serve. When you get married, you're good. Mm-hmm. You're ready to serve. You're serving. Yeah. Okay. Yes, Pastor. Also, there's another question. One I think we should, uh, because it's on marriage. I believe we should finish this. Mm. This is uh, question number eighteen and nineteen. Goes. Oh. Um, this is a long question, but I think it's on the same lines. So you've covered several aspects, maybe, but some of some aspects you may have want to look at. The Bible says the man ought to leave his father and mother and cling to his wife, that the two are no longer two but one flesh. I'm assuming that father and mother also include siblings, friends, colleagues, etc. Yep. But. I see this especially in Christendom that there is there is a conflict for an individual with their siblings and their spouses. Mm. There is a level of comfort that siblings share as they grow up together. But once they get married, some siblings expect the same level of comfort and closeness as before. Mm. Many individuals tend to prefer to do things with their siblings over their spouses, giving the spouses less or no opportunity to create a bond with each other. Mm. Especially in India, we still call our parents and siblings as our family instead of our other side of the family or the household. Is this mindset okay? Obviously not. I thought when a man and a woman get married, they are a family and siblings and parents become extended family. This might be a crude example. Siblings grew up changing clothes in the same room, but as as we grow up, we know that it is not appropriate when, when our siblings are around. Then again, it's okay to change our clothes when our spouses are around. Spouses around. Similarly, what do we do? Uh, to have a healthy relationship with our siblings. When is it going too far? I feel like there is a lot of confusion in this. With the siblings. This is a yeah, it's, a, it's the same thing. The principle is still the same. The principle does not, the principle does not change. Okay. I meaning, there's always a difference between a wife and a sister. Mm. And a brother and a husband. Okay, it's Robert Frost who wrote in that poem, I forgot. Good walls make good neighbors. neighbors. Okay, good neighbors. The whole confusion, like again, the whole confusion is happening is because the fundamental laws of marriage in Genesis 2 are not being followed. Mm. Once it is followed, the man makes it very clear, this is my woman. She's part of me. She makes it, he is part of me and he is the part that is the head 
the rest all will start falling into place. All start falling into also, place. Is, is there, there's, a, there's also, a, I mean, uh, a corollary here. So are, are you suggesting, I mean, is, mm-hmm. it, is it biblical to say that joint families are not from God? Biblically, there's no joint family. Right, right. Absolutely, because this yeah, is also... There is no joint family. I'm not saying there were no joint families in the Old Testament. But then Old Testament, the kings also took 5 and 10 and 15 wives, though he told them not to take it. Mm-hmm. So don't look at it as a pattern. Go by what has God said, not what man did. Mm-hmm. Don't look at that pattern. God did not tell uh, Abraham or any man, if you don't have a wife, you can take a concubine. These were things which were not told. Isaac had his own tent. Yeah. Okay. Isaac was, they all lived, I mean, they did not live in a house, they lived in a campus. (laughs) Abraham and Isaac had probably a thousand people. They were small cities moving. (laughs) Okay. So remember, it's not even a joint family. It's a city. And Isaac had his own his own tent. Okay. So, Look at, see, we are not going back into the Old Testament. Mm. They are looking at us and learning from us. Upon us, this end of ages has come. We have been given so much revelation about what is God expecting. So don't look at Abraham's tent and say, I want to be like that. God says, no, Abraham is looking at you and realize this is what I should have been. Mm-hmm. Because it was not told to him. It was not taught to him. This is a different dispensation. We are living in the best dispensation ever to whom much revelation has been given. Mm-hmm. So you have your brothers, or you let us say in this case, sibling as a husband, let us say, my sisters, I have two sisters. And I have my wife. I have my wife. Am I close to my sisters? I am close to my sisters. But I am not close to my sister ever at the cost of my wife. Mm. The cost of my relationship with my wife. Okay? Because we are one package. We are not two. Like I say, because these things happens in the sibling, in, in, in the homes, like it happens, let us say, in a church. Uh, Roshan is, uh, there is a married man over here. Roshan says, Pastor, I want to invite you for dinner next week, but don't bring your wife. Mm-hmm. Do you think I will go? <laughs> <laughs> so you're, um, brother or sister says, I want you to come more and visit, but don't bring your wife. Mm. I will say I'm not coming. Okay? But other scenarios, let's look at it. You have your family, your extended household, your parents. Okay, Let us say your parents or your brother or something has a misunderstanding with your wife and they are not willing to reconcile. Okay? So what do you do? You tell your wife. Okay? There's an emergency. I need to go. Mm. And I don't want you to come if you don't want to come. I don't want to make you miserable. Mm. But I want to make it very sure. You can be secure. My loyalties lie with you. Mm. Loyalties lie with you. I will go there. I will visit. I will do what I have to do. And I will come, come back. back. Mm. All this scenario, expect, okay? We are not living in a fairy world. Yes, yes, absolutely. It's a real world. All kinds of these things happen. Okay, so you don't have to be insecure because I'm going over there. But that is what I'm saying. Insecurity comes in a home because of lack of communication. Mm. Lack of communication. Yes. 
Okay, insecurity comes. But you always have to make it very, 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 very clear. Because let me see, let me ask you this question. If you read the Genesis account of Eliezer going with to find Rebecca and finds Rebecca, do you know that Rebecca and Laban's father is alive? Exactly. But he never speaks. Mm-hmm. It's Laban who speaks most of the time. Yes. Betul speaks. But Laban is the one seems, the elder son seems to be handling the whole thing. Mm-hmm. What does that tell you? That tells you Laban and Rebecca were very close. Because when Jacob has to go back, he says, go to my brother Laban. Mm. Very close. They're very close. But I don't think Laban any, any time came between Isaac and Rebecca. Okay, I never came in between. No, so you will have siblings you are very close to. But you cannot allow them to come between your relationship with your wife. But the wife also has to be mature. The husband also have to be mature over there, you'd say. First thing, don't be insecure. And don't isolate. Mm. It's not right. Don't isolate me from my father. Don't isolate me from my mother. Don't isolate me from my siblings. Because you know what? It is still family. Mm. It's still family. You don't have to be insecure and don't try and don't threaten and don't do those kind of things. Those, those things mess up a marriage. You, I need to respect my wife's side of the family like today, every, almost every day. And now my Sister-in-law writes to me. My wife's elder sister writes to me. It's so cute. We write to each other every day. She got saved. She got baptized in the Holy Spirit. She got the gift of tongues. And then yesterday she got the interpretation of the tongues. <laughs> and so, You see, we are able to relate to each other now as actually uh, closer than a brother and a sister-in-law. You know why? Because we are not only related by marriage, we are now related by the Lord. So it is a close, I have two sisters, okay? I'm close to both of them. But I'm closer now to the older sister because we are not only related by blood, but we are also related by the spirit. Mm. So if your family is saved, it should be a wonderful thing. Household is saved, how wonderful it should be. But if it is not, if it is not, okay, you will never let that line, this thing, like I have a sister who's not saved, husband is not saved, is not a Christian, her two sons are not Christians, but I treat them exactly like the other cousins. I don't treat, let me say the names, I have three, uh, one nephew and two nieces who are saved, and in this other sister, one sister has three who are saved, and the sister has two boys who are not saved. Though I am able to communicate them with in a different language because they are saved and I'm not able to communicate them with them in the same language, but I love them the same way. I don't mm. love them differently. Mm. Mm. I don't love them differently. But they are still my nephews and nieces. Of course, there is a gap between us, but the gap is not from me. It's from you yeah. because I cannot speak to you that language. But that doesn't mean I love you less. Okay. I don't love you less. So those things guard. Mm. Otherwise, we will discriminate. You will discriminate. You won't win your unsaved loved ones. You won't save your unloved loved ones. You love them. You love them. But always make it very, very sure. We are one package. Mm. Don't try to divide us. Don't try to divide us. And yet, be very, very practical in these things. Okay? And, uh, of course, wives also need to understand men are different. Men are different, like she talks about this. And men also need to understand women are different. Mm. Okay? Sisters wear each other's clothes. 
many of the shirts which I wear are my brother's mm. shirts. Because that's how you grew up. Mm. So it is not now that we have, okay? Those things are there, mm. okay? And these things don't change. You know, my brother doesn't call me pastor. <laughs> they don't call you by that name. Okay, they don't, they treat you always like you are always a younger brother. Okay, those things don't change. Younger brother, here. I brought this for you. Okay. Does this shirt hit you? Before you go. When my eldest brother and all used to come there, by the time he goes, the only thing he takes back is the shirt which he's wearing. He says, yeah, everything I'm leaving behind for you. I don't know, I'll go. He leaves it all behind. Why? Because that's the way he was when I was young. Mm. And in his mind, it hasn't changed. Okay, I'm in the 50s. My hair is more gray than you have children who are grown up. But you don't think, that's my brother. And your wife is not insecure about it. Mm. Insecure about it. Okay? So when my wife's eldest sister calls her baby, <laughs> okay, I am not saying, so she's not a baby. No, that's what you always call her. He's the youngest in the family, right? What did you call her when she was five years old, six years old, ten years old, seven years old? What did you call her? Baby. Mm-hmm. She's still your baby. <laughs> Don't boss over me. They say like siblings, they will talk to each other. <laughs> I mean, they're not fighting, you know, but that is it. Okay. So if my elder sister-in-law tells my wife something else, oh, I am the head, you shouldn't be telling him. There's no insecurity over there. Mm. She's your elder sister. You're also saved now. Speak into her life. I'm not this thing about it. Okay, so please remember, ultimately the Bible takes, it is the bond of love. Love, yes. Everywhere the issue is, is because there is no love. All the questions you are hearing about marriages, everything, you know what is gone? The love has gone. And I will tell you, the love has to go. Because the love with which many people married in the beginning was not real. It was romance. It was not love. It's not the love what God is talking about. So when God restores, He will give you the real love. What is real? And then you will realize, you know what, we are not two, we are one. So ask God. Don't say, Lord, make my marriage like in the beginning. No. Lord, restore. You bring, pour your love into our marriage. Mm. Okay, marriage. And you will suddenly realize, wow, it's better than before. Now misunderstandings have all gone. Understanding has come in. There is no offense. Okay, I can talk to my wife. She doesn't get upset. She can talk to me. I don't get upset. Even if you get upset, it lasts for 5 minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. It's forgotten. You don't have to keep on saying, forgive me, honey, sorry, honey. Because you realize... Mm. It's not even there in your mind. Exactly. You live in a climate of forgiveness. Yes, where you don't even have to say it. Hallelujah. But you can confront anything. Yes, because the bond is true and the love is true. Okay. This is what a marriage is. Well, that is what our relationship with Christ is. Pastor, yes. one last question. I am ready. Okay, this is question number 19 on, again, on the family, maybe you should finish this. <laughs> <laughs> Boys are inherently violent in nature, so how do we explain as parents how to use that violence part? Okay. For example, should they fight with other kids who are snatching their toys or should we teach them to share? Correction. Boys are not inherently violent in nature. Bible doesn't say that man is inherently violent and woman is inherently gentle. No. Mm. Either all are violent. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. 
let me tell you manifest itself in different ways no it's not that a child is a child technically let's leave the iniquity part out of that's a different thing which manifests later a child doesn't do anything what he doesn't see mm-hmm. the child is violent so there is violence in the home mm-hmm. or the child has seen violence either on tv home or somewhere else a child when he comes is empty is empty the mind is empty the child sees the parents the child sees the other siblings like i said the home primarily is the most powerful influence on a child mm. if there is no fighting between the parents no violence between the parents the home is a quiet very gentle place the child won't be violent even if he goes out to school and the rest of them are violent he will not be violent because he has never re- learned to react that way he will come back and say he may get beaten up and come back and he will come but back will not respond but he will not respond initially unless later he learns to fight because now he is learning from his peers but otherwise he will not and he can sustain it that way really really sustain it that way saying we don't do stuff like that children become violent because homes become violent mm-hmm. homes are quiet and calm and things can be discussed and settled in the home especially parents when they have small children behind the doors things can be all settled you know what children won't be violent mm-hmm. and children should not be allowed to watch stuff violent because the internet tv is full of violence when they are small they definitely should not be allowed to watch that they should be allowed to watch because you know there's a reality in the world which is violence but it is not true if anything is true it is eternal mm. it should be a reality in your home which is peace it's eternal because heaven is a place of peace mm. okay peace. okay but a child should be a boy especially a child should be not mollycoddled he should be taught to respect to get used to pain mm-hmm. he goes to play he will fall he will scrape he will come with cuts and all all that that all should be part of an accept he shouldn't be a wuss mm. he wouldn't should be a wuss he should be strong that way you will see 6 foot 3 inch men screech for an injection <laughs> where did he grow up okay okay no he shouldn't be a wuss okay. <laughs> okay. he shouldn't be a wuss he should he should be he should be tough for that way get away and that primarily is in the hands of the father mm-hmm. okay that all that instruction in the hands of the father where he teaches his sons to be tough tough that way not violent please understand these are two different things toughness is inside mm-hmm. teaches his sons to be tough girls to be tough who can handle pressure but both to be gentle mm-hmm. gentle in philippians chapter 4 and in words 4 and 5 this is what paul says 4 can read from verse 4 rejoice in the lord always again i say rejoice let your gentleness be known to all men by right? the lord is at hand amen let your gentleness be known this is all home training 
All these things are taught and learned only at home. School doesn't teach that. School is like the law. Outward behavior, behave everybody in the uniform, sit down, stand up, no talking, this thing. That is outward behavior. Inward behavior does not happen in school. It happens in home. It's like Socrates or Plato or something. The mother came to the philosopher and said, when should I start educating my child? He said, how old is your child? She said, five years old. He should run home. You're already five years late. Mm. Everything you need to, you're basically, you're set by five years old. You've already seen everything you need to learn, see for life. And you have already imbibed it. It's been soaked into your brain. So the, those formative years of your child should be a very peaceful, happy place. The child will grow up very, very secure. Mm. Very, very secure. And will be a gentle place because there is a command. Let your gentleness be known to all men. So going back to the question. First, correction. Boys are not inherently violent in nature, nor are girls. Children are not violent inherently in nature. So how do we explain as parents how to use that? For example, should they fight with other kids who are snatching their toys or should we teach them to share? No, you don't fight with others who are teaching. Okay, There are three men in the Bible. One man is called Abraham. Another man is Jacob. In the middle, there is a man called Isa, who is the actual picture of Christ. These are all different, different types. And you will see Isaac never fights. He never fights for the toys. He gives it to them. Then he can have it. He can have it. You have to teach him to stand up for injustice. Mm. You have to teach him. You know, yeah, if you see a boy knocking down another child, especially a girl, you must stop it. That is teaching him this about injustice to others. Mm. But when your toy is being <coughs> taken out, give it. Don't worry. Let them have it. Let them have it. These are two different concepts. If you read, if you read about Isaac and what he did, mm. and he has his, he has his, the Bible says, he has his well, he has his altar, he has his well, mm. And he has his tent. Birshiba, right? Yes, Birshiba is the place. Birshiba is the place. He never fights. Hmm. And the kings and the generals came to him and made peace with him. He never had to lift a single finger. Because they say, we know God is with you. Hmm. Without fighting. Wow. Okay? Hmm. Without fighting. So our pictures are there. In that the is Bible. strength actually. That is actually strength. strength. I don't have to fight. I don't have to fight. Yeah. You, can tell you don't have to fight. Yeah. If they take your toy, give it to them. Because Jesus said, if you have two coats, give it. Mm. Take it. I don't want to. I'm not going to fight for my toy. But if you see somebody else abusing somebody else, you know, you you teach your child, intervene. Okay, intervene. If you get hurt because you are trying to stop violence on somebody else, you comment him. Come back. I'm very proud of you that mm. you intervene to protect somebody who was weaker than you. Some bully was beating you. I'm very proud of you. Okay. These are two different things. You teach them to share because it's more blessed to give than to receive. So parenting is all part of parenting. And you have to deal with issue after. That's why the Bible says parenting is a full-time job. Mm. In uh, Timothy it says mothers will be saved through labor. What is it talking about? Talking about sanctification. Mm. Not that saving of salvation from your sin. Because it's a full-time job. Because you're raising up two soldiers or three soldiers or four soldiers in your house for God. Not honest. <laughs> Arrows 
with the cure of a mighty man. They shall contend with your enemies at the gate. Every reed does not become an arrow. It takes time. It takes a lot of work. A lot of work. And one of the first things, if you ever played archery, which I did through my childhood, first thing about an arrow is you see if it is balanced. Mm. Does it have straight. balance? Mm. It has to be straight. Mm. It has to be balanced. And it takes time. The child is straight. The child is balanced. Do you remember Joseph's dream? Mm. I saw two mm. stalks of sheep. Mine was standing mm. upright. <laughs> He thought you yeah. was upright. God said, you are not. I'll make you upright. Yeah. Thirteen years. I will yeah. make you upright. Because whether you are upright or not will only come when you are put through the furnace. Mm. Everybody will be upright in a conducive climate. Yes. I am good. You are good. You love me. I love you. Enough money. Everything. Everybody is upright. <laughs> the rug is pulled out from under your feet. And you are sold as a slave. You have nobody to defend you. God says, will you be upright? Two, when you're on a false accusation, you're a young man, false accusation, you're thrown into prison, or a seemingly we're still upright. Mm. Thirteen years later, it's still standing, we're still upright. God says, you approved your metal, you can take child of Egypt. Approved your metal. Okay, so this is all part. See, everything that you do, whether it is at home, church, or workplace, keep eternity in mind. Rewards are not here. The rewards you get here, you are not going to take it with you anyway. We are running a huge, huge, huge race. Rewards are eternal. The crown is imperishable. And it is for ever and ever and ever. Get these principles. So whether you are a man or a woman, single or married, Get all these pictures in. Say, Lord, help me. I believed this year's promise, Lord. You're going to restore the years. All this locust ate. You're going to give that time back. Like I said in the morning, maybe you had 15 years of a miserable marriage. Maybe you had 10 years of a miserable marriage because you had so many marriage questions. You fast, you pray. You build your altar back and God starts moving in your home and he restores your marriage. You'll be able to say like Joseph, I forgot those 10 years. That one year was worth 50 years of marriage. 50 years of marriage. It's all forgotten and gone. Because God will fill that up. And he's still there. He's still the God for of marriage. And he can change your marriage all around. But it will cause a humbling of self, man and woman. Humble each other and say, it's not my way or your way, it is God's way. Amen. We shall build it. And you know what? God will restore it all back. When your family, your children, you'll say all those years that has lost, God says, I will restore. You read, look at the promises, your sons and your daughters shall come back. Mm -hmm. They won't come back the way they went. You see, at the end of the story of the prodigal son's story, it was easier for the father and mother to relate to the prodigal son than the elder one. <laughs> it's very difficult for them to relate to the elder one. But you know what? Imagine there is no elder brother in the story. Imagine there was no elder brother in the story. 
ask yourself this question when they are sitting at the dining table. Is the dining table a happy place before he went from the home or after, after. It, he came back from the home? After he came back to the home. Because now he knows his father. Mm-hmm. And his mother. The houses. How many years have gone? The wasted years. Mm-hmm. But one week, one month, one year, the years are forgotten. Home is a very happy place because the child has come back and is matured. Mm. He's matured. So you need to realize how God will restore homes. Some cases they're marriages. In some cases they're homes. God will restore. He's a God of restoration. You have to stand there and believe. Mm. You have to stand there and believe. You know, Lord, I will do all that I have to do. And if that does not happen because the other person is not interested or willing, I will tell you, you will still be happy because God will be with you. Mm-hmm. God will be with you. He will fill your heart with joy. He will fill it up. He will fill it up. Because it takes, again, it takes two to tango. Right? You go through it all and the other person is not interested. Still God will give you peace. He will comfort you. He will give you the joy. He will pour extra grace. Like we always pray for our single parents, our single mothers. We tell them, Lord, double portion of your grace because they are trying to do two person's job. What two people are supposed to do, one person is doing. You know, give them extra grace. It's always there. Honestly, let me tell you, he's there for us. Yes, Pastor Vijay? We will pray. Father, we just thank you. We praise you. We worship you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. I thank you for today. I thank you for all these questions, all the hurting women, especially women out there, Lord, more than men. Women hurt. Men can go out. They can go to their clubs and their sporting and their friends. The women cannot go. They have their children. They have their home. And they're waiting for the man to come, the man for whom they left everything. They've trusted him. They believed him. They followed him. So many out there hurting. So many. So many letters. These are all from hurting wives and hurting women, Lord. But Lord, to them all, there is this word that goes out. I will give you back the ears the locusts have eaten. I pray, Lord, let this be a year of restoration of marriages of homes, families, of children. Restoration, Lord. Restoration. Married children who have relationships broken with their parents Mm -hmm. or siblings. Let there be all-round restoration, Lord. All-round restoration. Only you can do it. When you pour out your spirit and the spirit moves, there will be restoration. In the church, maybe in the workplace with colleagues, difficult colleagues, hostile colleagues, I pray, Lord, let the anointing flow. Amen. Touch every corner of our life. Yes. Nothing untouched. Let the river flow. For the word of God says, wherever the river flowed, there was life. Let there be life. The enemy comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. Lord, you said, I have come to give you life. Life in abundance. We're believing it for, Lord. Life is not, does not, you said, life does not consist in the abundance of things. No, it does not. 
Life is about relationships. Loving God, loving your neighbor. And I pray, Lord, our lives and our homes be filled with love and not activities, yes. but love. Thank you, Father, that you would be, you would be comfortable visiting our homes. Mm. You would be able to say, I can go to that house. They don't fight. Mm. They love each other. There is peace in that house. You would be comfortable in our homes, oh Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Bless everyone in your name. The hand of God rest upon them. The peace and the comfort of God rest upon them. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.